0: OK, I'm um, Ryan Treadwell. Uh, currently, I am a senior producer at Certain Affinity here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I got my start um, on the customer service side of the industry with Blizzard Entertainment, uh, and then transitioned over to production, uh, moved around uh, a little bit, uh, went to Big Huge Games, and a max Online, uh, Bioware, and uh, ended up here.
1: Nice. Um, how long have you been in the industry so far?
0: Uh, on the dev side, let's see, I think it's been six six or seven years. I'd have to do the math, mm-hmm. but yeah, about six or seven years for the, I guess it's been a little bit longer than that, closer to eight years for the dev side. I joined um, uh, Blizzard as a customer service uh, rep, game master, in 2007, I think. So uh, 11 years total. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I shit around uh, that one Kotaku article that quoted you a lot about what producers are right. like. Uh, so if you could describe like a general week in your job, like what are some of the things that you'd be juggling throughout the week? Oh
0: hmm, Certainly. I mean, it really depends on what phase of the project uh, we're in. Uh, but uh, my job is really to make sure everyone else is, uh, is able to do their job doing the right things at the right time. So uh, for instance, the beginning of the week is usually filled with uh, a lot of meetings, um, usually a lot of alignment stuff, making sure that uh, we're making the right things. So sometimes we'll do, um, for instance, like level reviews or content reviews or play tests, uh, and then uh, maybe some planning meetings for the rest of the week. And then each day is uh, kind of just reviewing the content that's being made for the game, discussing what further steps need to be taken, um, and then really just facilitating what the developers need um, for that. Every day's kind of a little bit different. Um, I hope that answers the question.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to learn more about how you think about the job. So I know people Sorry. have described producers as almost like a central point on the team. like. Uh, I know some managers who also think of their job that way as like they see the org as or the company as a system. And they're like information and thoughts and stuff are moving around and they kind of see themselves as being in charge of like monitoring that that movement around the big company and making sure it's healthy, making sure things are getting to where they should be at the right time. And right stuff like that is is that does that apply to producers as well not just managers
0: i think it does i think there's a certain degree of that that goes through um i really look at my job as a uh, uh kind of like a puzzle solver right like uh everybody wants uh, the nice part about games um for the most part one of the things that makes me really passionate about it is that everybody wants to be here right like um you don't find very many people in the game industry that Don't really feel passionate about what they're doing. Uh, Everybody wants to make the best game possible, uh, which is a really nice position to be in as a producer because you have a ton of talented people, all very skilled in their discipline. You've got amazing artists, designers, programmers that all want to make the best product possible. Now, everybody may be seeing things a little bit differently, though, right? Like, we all might be trying to make the best product, you know, the best game. Say, we're going to make, you know, uh, I don't know. Awesome shooter two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we all know we want to make awesome shooter two. We all know that some of the base core features of what awesome shooter two is going to be. However, we don't all necessarily have the same vision inside of our heads. So one of my jobs is to be kind of like the the puzzle peacemaker, right? To get the right people talking back and forth to resolve the problems. Some people might say it once, you know, they might want it to be a, a big open world game. Or something might want to be more of a corridor game. We have to talk about, like, what's the best solution for that? Um, And really, it's just about that. It's about resolving all of those little conflicts, uh, and conflicts not in a bad sense, but just in the sense of, like, uh, trying to get down to the core of what you really want to make. So that's kind of the way I see most of my role is just just being that facilitator, that problem solver, uh, that person that's there to uh, make the development experience as good as it possibly can be.
1: Neat. So you also sound like you have to be aware of like the creative process. Like even if oh, even if absolutely. you're not driving that whole process, you are facilitating it. You're trying to help it move along.
0: And I think facilitating is the right way to put it. That's the way I would describe it. Is facilitating the creative process. That's neat. I have to be knowledgeable. And in my opinion, a good producer is knowledgeable about the majority of the product. Like whereas uh, if you're Uh, a specified discipline you can dig deep in your one area a producer really needs to be knowledgeable about uh, a larger amount be able to see a bigger picture of things because they have to see how all those pieces fit together uh, so that you're not wasting time you're not getting yourself into a position where you know there's going to need to be crunch things like that
1: so what was your first producer role like do you remember being uh, disoriented quite a bit trying to figure out the job
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, So my first uh, producer role um, was a tools producer. Uh, So I had gone on to do like support systems and things like that for the game Elder Scrolls Online. Um, And that was a different experience than a dev experience, right? It's very project management focused. But the first time I was a a development side producer um, was for a game called uh, uh, Reckoning Kingdoms of Amalur. Um, and I had jumped on at the end of the end of their process. They had been crunching to get this game out. And it's this RPG, and I have joined on to do like uh, some of the DLC content and then prepare for the sequel. Um, and it was definitely a bewildering experience, right? Like you kind of have that thing from the outside where you know, like you understand games, you play games, you get how they're made up and to a point, And then whenever you get in, it's, it's like this entire different experience. Like there's just so many more moving pieces. There's so much more going on. Uh, and it's absolutely this overwhelming experience, but in kind of this good, exciting, positive way.
1: Yeah. I, I, that's very common. Like there's, that's one of the most common pieces of advice that like there's just a huge rift between, being a fan who follows the game industry closely and actually being on the other side, being in the development side and seeing all the pieces. But that
0: rift is closing. Like that's the coolest part about now. Like whenever I was starting off and whenever I decided Hey, I'd like to go and and join the game industry and be on the dev side. There was nothing, you know, like there were no resources. There's nothing I can look for. And then just over the last couple of years, we have amazing documentaries from like the double fine documentary that like really take, you know, kind of the veil away from the game dev process. Like there's so many resources I would have loved to had to understand how games actually function. Um, like Jason Schreier's book uh, um, is out now, and it's it's fantastic, and just gives you such a great insight into how games actually get made.
1: Even like extra credits, the YouTube channel they've been around for like ten years now. Oh, yeah, and I know though closing yeah. that gap has been one of their actually explicitly stated purposes. <laughs> In like, that's one yeah. of their actual goals. Uh,
0: yeah, I was very lucky personally because I was I was working at uh, at Blizzard. So uh, as a customer service rep or as a manager of, of customer service there, um, I had a lot of access to the development group. So I was able to, you know, ask questions and learn on the job. But I mean, not that many people, you know, get that opportunity. So at least now it's a bit more open. I mean, you're doing these amazing AMAs for people. Like, I think that's a real big difference of uh, of what it was like to what it is now.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to this is my occasional reminder for anyone who's connected to the voice chat if you want to ask a question you can either unmute yourself and jump in or you can type in the ask me anything channel uh so my next question was uh how did you get that first job at blizzard like what was that like
0: uh the job at blizzard was uh was pretty easy to get honestly like i had known that i wanted to work in video games and uh it was right at the beginning of world of warcraft so they were booming Uh, and it was an entry level job, you know, so it was an easy one to get. I just applied like they had a ton of jobs open Um, and that those types of opportunities still exist all over the place, right? Like there's tons of companies doing customer support and QA and things like that out there. It's the, those jobs are very simple to kind of get your foot in the door In it's that transition from those entry level jobs to a development job that I think is really the challenge that a lot of people have um but yeah getting into into that was very simple it was just finding a job being willing to move to uh the location uh like i moved to austin specifically to work there Mm -hmm. and then worked there for a couple years
1: are you still there right
0: uh yeah i came back actually i really love austin so after i was done at bioware um because i was up in bioware edmonton up in canada and uh after i got done there i was like well i got to I got to move back to austin i love that place
1: yeah that's that's pretty common in the industry people moving for work um oh yeah like absolutely. i moved to seattle for work and now i love it here yeah <laughs> oh man i love seattle such a great city, especially for games uh but it absolutely it's got a lot of good stuff here um, oh yeah so what was how long were you in the customer support role and i think you said you moved around to qa a bit too
0: uh no, I worked with QA, with QA. but I was never okay. in QA directly. Um I uh I was there for about four and a half years, I think, in, in those roles, and I had done some project work and things like that, but uh uh really I was spending the majority of that time like trying to, to find my way into development.
1: So one of our first AMAs was with somebody who was actively working in customer support at Twitch. Oh cool and- she had a lot of great advice and perspective on like the whole job game like like in the industry we're very prone to talking about jobs in a sense of your dream job the job that you're trying to get right. and it's it was really refreshing to hear a lot of her practical tips on like you need to you need to think about jobs as like uh, especially the the quote unquote easier to get jobs uh like customer support right. you need to think about them as what will happen if this job disappears? What like where's my next where's Absolutely. my next job uh, jump going to be? And like do you, how are you going to pay for rent and food?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it really is a job first, right? It's your, it's your life first. It's just you know related to the thing that you'd like to you know career path for, right? Like so, you know, I always I love the idea of a five year plan and a ten year plan. I think those are great as long as they're flexible. Um, And it's also important to to understand, like, you know, with the job that you're uh, you're in doesn't necessarily lead to the next one. Like, being great at customer service didn't get me to being a producer, right? Like, being really, really good at one job doesn't mean that you can go into the next one. You should be good at your current job because you'd like to eat and, you know, sleep with a roof over your head. Um, and then also be working on your future career goals as well.
1: Yeah. So how did uh, the role of a producer first get on your radar? Like, was it while you were working? Oh, yeah.
0: It was actually, I kind of joined um, uh, Blizzard, and I, you know, it was because I was interested in in their games, and, and I liked their company. And so I joined, and I was having a great time. And uh, one of the producers for uh, World of Warcraft came down to our office uh, to kind of talk to us about, like, the dev side and, you know, the interaction and stuff like that uh, that happens between us and everything. Uh, And they were all kind of going around and describing their jobs. And there were artists and designers, all these people there. Uh, And Jay Allen Brack, one of the producers on there, started to describe his job as a producer. And immediately it just clicked in my head. I was like, that's it. That's the one. That's what I'd like to do, um, and so then afterwards I had a, a short conversation, you know, with them, and then did a ton of research on uh, on what the job actually was, and then at that point kind of made myself a little uh, a little career plan on how to get there, uh, and this was like this was all just guessing, <laughs> you know, like I, I just kind of like came up with a couple of ideas and was like, well, this all sounds right, you know, and I think about maybe. Twenty percent of that was actually helpful, but that twenty percent that actually paid off—you know—really paid off.
1: Yeah, because oftentimes you're competing with somebody who doesn't even have that twenty percent.
0: Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, most people, I don't think, even put that much thought into it, and you know, so yeah. You know, the just taking a first step, like you know, listening to your first AMA, like you know, uh, reading a blog, you know, entry on it, like practicing your resume, you know, writing skills, things like that like that automatically puts you in the top 10%, right? Because most people are just going to either apply for the job randomly with a generic resume or just always say, I'm going after the job, but never actually, you know, go after it. So, uh, you know, half of it's just applying. Yeah.
1: Um, what What kind of things did you do to prepare for the producer role and to make yourself a more attractive candidate for that?
0: And I think there's a lot of things you can do. The tricky part with the game industry is that uh, we're always evolving um, and we're always growing. You know, part of that is is because we are a technology field, right? So the technology is always growing. So our requirements are always growing as well. But there's always a couple of things you can do, uh, and it changes per discipline. For instance, like, uh, you know, for for the producer role, I realized that I, I was interested in getting some, you know, project management certification. So I went out and got a, a Scrum certification. I learned about Agile. I did a ton of research there. Um, I took a bunch of courses, you know, which all made me look just a little bit more appealing on my resume. You know, I wasn't just one face in the crowd, right? I tried to get any project work I possibly could at my current job. And this is something that everybody can do is try and find applicable experience in a current job to apply to their next job right uh but it it really just depends like for instance if you want to be an artist it's all about your portfolio right and if you're going to be a programmer it's all about that programming test you know so it's uh it's just finding the things that are going to make you look even more appealing stand out finishing projects always the huge one like if you can put finished projects down like i worked on this even if it wasn't spectacular Just the fact that you finish something always makes you stand.
1: Yeah. So we have a question from Opposite Opposite. (laughs) Uh, Great info. Thank you. You mentioned your first role as producer being bewildering. Have you found any helpful practices for joining a new team with a project already in progress?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, I I absolutely have. Uh, So I have a a couple of rules that I always um, follow uh, whenever I join a new project or a new team, this isn't always a new job. Sometimes it's just you know if there's multiple projects going on in a studio, you'll find yourself going between. The first thing I always do is I always listen for about two weeks, or at least I try and listen for about two weeks. Um, I think a mistake a lot of people make is jumping in and immediately trying to you know be super helpful and or or try and solve problems, but you're not going to have the context available to solve those problems uh until you understand a little bit more about what's going on so i personally always try and like sit back listen ask a ton of questions in those first couple of weeks and before i ever like try and branch out because i want to integrate with the style of the team too sometimes you have really fast-paced teams that iterate and make decisions really quickly other times you're going to have teams that are a little bit more cool and calculating and don't like to take a ton of risk up front so one of the things I always do is do that. Like I would just try and stay back a little bit. Another thing I try and do is, um, you know, have that personal connection with people. And sometimes that's just talking to people, you know, asking questions, being open. Um, Most game folks are really open and interesting people. You know, there's a lot of introverts, but even the introverts really, really like talking uh, to folks about stuff. And we all usually have something in common as well. You can always go, what game are you playing right now? What's your favorite game in the last year or something like that? Great opener. And then you're automatically going to get some good responses for that.
1: That's really interesting that you mentioned the need to get acquainted with the team. Uh, Like, I just personally, I just have like this, uh, this stereotype that I keep seeing around work where someone thinks of themselves as an expert on a particular thing. And may, they might come into the project from some in some random other location, like maybe they weren't focusing on the project, or maybe they're new to the company or the team. And right. they approach their work from this attitude of, well, there's a lot, I don't know what's going on here. But regardless of that, I think my opinion is still pretty good. <laughs> uh,
0: right, exactly. And, and it's a fair position. Yeah,
1: and it's their expertise and all that. But... As a producer, like you reminded me that like, yeah, the team dynamics are really important. Like you need, just knowing how well Absolutely. a team works together, what they prefer to do, are they cautious, are they bold? That way you can actually be an yeah. asset to them as opposed to some outside expert who's telling them what to do.
0: Right. And a lot of things that I come across, you know, is, uh, you know, I might join on to a team and, you know, they'll, they'll be missing this very obvious solution. Right. But what I don't know is that they already have gone over this obvious yeah. solution a week ago before I ever got there, you know. And so that's why I usually like to do the listen and ask questions um, uh, type of uh, interaction right off the bat, because I really need that context to be able to provide some solutions.
1: I've heard of uh, when I used to work at Microsoft, a program manager joined our team and she would go around telling people that she's in sponge mode right now. Like just like not really <laughs> saying much, not being too assertive, just absorbing everything.
0: Right. Right. It's a good way to be at first, you know, like most of the time, whenever you get hired onto a team, it's because there's a, there's a need, right. They need your skills, you know, no matter what level you're at, even at the most junior position, they need your skills. Otherwise they wouldn't be, you know, paying you. Right. They, they need you to jump on there, but they also need you to be, you know, in step with the rest of the team. You know, that changes, of course, if you ever get hired onto something and you are the one person, right? Like if you're the one programmer, the one artist in the room, okay, then you should probably speak up. Mm -hmm.
1: Cool. So I'm going to do my reminder again. So if anyone has a question, uh, you can ask just by unmuting your mic and speaking out, or you can type it into the chat if you want. Um, so the, I had a question earlier about during your as you were getting used to the producer role. Do you have any stories of big mistakes that you've made that you still regret? Uh, let's see. Or even just big mistakes that the I, team made, which you I, I feel like producers can feel responsible for team mistakes as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's always. Um, uh, you know, one of the big regrets I always have is whenever, um, like I, uh, I overcommit, um, cause I think as, as, uh, you know, as the producer, as, as the, the kind of like, uh, owner of the schedule, a lot of times, anytime, like one of my team's crunches, I really take it kind of personally, uh, whenever they have to work a little, you know, like overtime or anything along those lines, because we planned, our, our plan didn't work out because nobody ever usually plans for crunch. That's a ridiculous thing to do. So um, I remember the first time my, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was an associate producer and, you know, my team, I had overcommitted my team uh, to something because they were very confident and they're like, we're going to definitely, you know, hit this. And we didn't. So we ended up working a little bit of overtime and I really felt like I should have, you know, stepped forward, done something at that point. Uh, or or should have you know seen that coming uh, before it happened, uh, and so yeah, I definitely remember that one. That one kind of like stuck in my memory, uh, so I always try and avoid that, but it's not always avoidable. But uh, it's always a conversation I want to bring up, you know.
1: I I saw the similar thing happen with my most recent client. Uh, they had a deadli- a very tight deadline, and a pretty ambitious goal to make something by that deadline. And right. I wasn't the one who was working on the most critical piece of that. But was, I saw these conversations bubbling up in the team that were like, we have this crazy deadline, we have this crazy goal, can we do it? And people were like, yeah, I think we can do it we, if we try really hard. Yeah. And <laughs> And these estimates would come in from engineering that's like, we just need 24 more hours, 24 more hours. And in hindsight, I'm yeah. like, all those estimates were literally – looking at our time limit and being like yeah maybe we can do it as opposed to maybe as opposed to thinking yeah. about the actual work item and calculating a real estimate for how long it would take yeah
0: yeah you uh, it, it's a skill right like it, it really is a skill to be able to understand that And i think a lot of people have a natural uh kind of personality tendency do things you know some people are going to be your your naysayers and say there's no way that's possible (laughs) right even though they're definitely going to accomplish it the next day right i love those guys right and then you know there's your your folks that are you know think the the world of their abilities and they're like i can finish this in an hour and it'll take them a week you know so it's really just about understanding the personalities on your team you know uh and then working within those you know uh like it's everybody has their own personality quirks like even in my projects and my spare time and my i'm terrible at estimating no one's actually good at estimating your own time you know it really takes that outside kind of voice to be able to give yourself perspective
1: yeah is there a way that you plan for the uncertainty of some of the estimates you get
0: certainly yeah absolutely um uh, like I said, a lot of it, I try and know the people that I'm working with so I can understand, uh, you know, what what they mean whenever they're talking to me, you know? Like, so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, it's, it's just saying, like, okay, well, you said – You can do it in three days, but I know you're an optimist, so uh, that's if you get left alone for three days. I know you're definitely not going to get left alone for three days, so I'm going to say it's four or five days until that gets done. Mm. So sometimes it's just understanding the velocity of the people on your team. Um, I usually add in a little bit of buffer uh, because normally whenever people give you estimates, they're thinking about they already have an idea in their head of how they're going to accomplish it and how much time that will be and usually they're not accounting for things going yeah. wrong so i usually add on 20 to 30% just as a buffer because things rarely go 100% right um so that's an easy way to kind of give yourself a little a little leeway
1: programmers uh, never plan for bugs <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one ever plans for bugs. Like no one ever plans for the tools crashing or you know the build not compiling. You know, there's there's a ton of different things that uh, that can go that can go wrong. So I usually like to just plan that. Like for instance, whenever uh, whenever I plan a day, uh, if it's a full eight hour day, I only plan for six hours of it because you have meetings. You're gonna have you know you know people at desks, you're going to have you know uh, sick kids, you're going to have all sorts of crazy stuff yeah. go on. Um, so I, I only plan for six hours a day of, of actual prime working time. Um, and if you get it back one day, you're going to lose it the next, right?
1: Yeah. And even if you work too many hours in one
0: day, the next day is going to
1: suffer in productivity. So it, exactly. it kind of evens exactly. out. Exactly.
0: So it all kind of evens out. A six hour day is kind of like my, my standard planning day. Me, uh, not to say that the, that there's not another two hours of work getting done, right? That other two hours might actually be like very important meetings that you're in or consulting with another employee to, you know, solve one of their problems or, you know, something like that.
1: you have a story of a problem that you helped solve that you're pretty proud of? Oh, God, there's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe recent ones? Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, I can give an example for, from, uh, from Dragon Age. Uh, this is a pretty big one. Whenever I got uh, hired on, uh, I was joining the Dragon Age Inquisition team. Uh, and they were done with their pre-production cycle for the most part. Um, and they were kind of moving into their production phase, you know. So they had a, a big list of features, all of the cool stuff they wanted in the game. Uh, and I was working with the RPG team and the UI folks. And uh, what they did is they went through all the features in the game and kind of prioritized them, right? And so they were like, okay, well, this is a priority one task. This is a priority two task, priority three task. Um, but because it was an RPG and I was on the RPG team, almost all of our tasks were priority one or priority two tasks, which makes you know planning pretty difficult because nothing can fall off. So one of the ways that uh, I solved the problem of of, uh, what we called it was uh, uh, a peelable scope, right? So you take the scope, you take all your wants, right? And then you you scale it down to something that's manageable, right? Uh, So what I did is I I made a big sheet of all the features in the game and then what our staff was, you know, uh, how many hours it would take, what all of our estimates were and everything like that. And I made an interactable sheet and it was kind of a little mini game where you could go through and you could select which features you wanted to you wanted to be in the game, and then you could adjust how many people were on the team, how many programmers, how many artists, how many designers, and then as soon as your resources or people on the team uh, uh, exceed, or, or as soon as your tasks exceeded your resources, the whole sheet would turn red. So it was a balancing game of trying to get all the yeah. features we possibly could. With all the staff and resources that we had, uh, and and trying to figure out how many more we needed to add and how much was in the budget, so kind of a, a weird, you know, like I loved it. Like that sounds super duper nerdy, but it was like the coolest thing ever for me, uh, which is why I'm a producer.
1: <laughs> um, that was done in Excel or a Google Sheet. Was that using Microsoft Excel?
0: Oh, I use Excel yeah. like. I, I yeah. yeah, I use Excel. It's super powerful. I love
1: messing around with Excel scripts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I make some 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 crazy stuff in in uh, in Excel. Yeah, I would definitely say like you know if you're if you're looking to be a producer or a designer, you really need to understand Excel. Oh yeah, and. Uh,
1: it sounds like that tool is also, was also a surprisingly effective way to communicate to team members. Like, yes, we are dealing with these hard numbers, and you can't convince, uh, like, you can't just convince your way around them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's really where that tool um, shines is uh, is showing data, right? And since you know a large a large portion of uh, Uh, of the producer's job is going to be you know really like exposing that data in an understandable way to the rest of your team right because everybody on your team is going to understand data in a different way so i really try and tailor it to each individual group so i'll have tons of different methods of communicating um, what's happening on the project like what status we're in you know how much more work we need to do you know, for artists, I try and be a little bit more visual. You know, for uh, programmers, I usually like try and do things like those data tables so they can interact with it um, a little bit more. It just uh, it just depends on on what your audience is.
1: So David has a question: Any educational background you recommend for being a producer or for game development more generally, like com- computer science or software engineering?
0: Um, I, I do suggest that uh, no, no specific um, educational background, like if you interview 10 producers and you ask them what their educational background, you're gonna get 10 different answers. Um, you know, some of us come from art backgrounds, some of us come from technical backgrounds, some of us come from crazy I know someone right?
1: who's uh, come from creative writing.
0: Exactly, right? Like we've got, you know, it, it's really just, you know, who fits in the role, you know, who finds this stuff interesting. Um, but I do think there are some fundamental good skills, um, that you can build before getting in there, you know, that don't even require a degree, honestly, like you can seek about yourself, uh, you know, a fundamental understanding of like project management, uh, which is super easy. That's like a, you know, Wikipedia search right there, uh, or maybe a weekend class or something. There's agile, uh, and all the divisions of that, which like, you know, scrum, Kanban. And then there's the stuff from the project management Institute, which is kind of like the standard, um, And uh, also another really nice thing to have on your your resume that'll make you stand out is uh, Project Management Institute certification. They're a little pricey, and they take a little bit of time. um, But man, it'll make you stand out in a crowd if you have a CAPM or a PMP or something like that uh, attached to your name. Um, So those are really good. Uh, And then I think another good thing to be able to display is your soft skills uh, or your people skills. Uh, and there's a lot of really good books out there that you can read um, uh, about, you know, people skills, interaction. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, from the Gallup Group. Uh, it's a Strength Finder. There's a Strength Finder 2.0 out there. It's kind of like one of those personality tests that you would do for like, uh, like Myers Briggs or something like that. But this one's a little bit more dedicated to different people there's like 34 different personality types and it just chooses your top five um so there's like a, a leadership strength finder strength finder leadership or something along those lead by strengths it's from the gallup group i can link it in mm-hmm. chat or something like that later um and I, I think that's a really good um a really good book to understand all the different people that are out there and all the different working styles they have
1: So the first one you mentioned was Project Management Institute, PMI.org. And this one's the Gallup Finder. Yeah, there
0: you go. Perfect. I got the link. And then I I really can't recommend the Double Fine um, documentary on uh, their adventure game enough. I think, honestly, that's the best crash course in development that you can currently get. Like they go into so much detail on there and they show like a true dev cycle. They don't pull back any punches or anything like that. So if you want a real game dev experience, that's very, very close to it.
1: Yeah, and the, there's a Double Fine documentary and Noclip, which is a documentary series. Noclip is a great one. Great stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just watched their 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 documentary on uh, Warframe uh, recently, and I thought that was great.
1: I have not been following NoClip enough. I've been contributing to their Patreon, but I don't actually watch. this.
0: But... <laughs> yeah, they're great. They just released a new one on Bethesda that I have not watched yet, but uh, I'm very excited to sit down with after E3
1: so uh, do you have any stories of producers who you really admire working with
0: oh absolutely uh well like i said jay allen brack um at blizzard was really the guy who inspired me to go into the role he spoke very passionately about it um uh specifically about the the role of uh, I, i'm very into the idea of this uh servant-based leadership right because uh, i was a a manager before I got into production and it's the whole idea that you're there to support your team you know you're there as as a facilitator for their skills Oh, I love that uh and it's brilliant right like it's, it's such a good philosophy and way of working at it and it makes sense too right because a lot of times as a producer as a manager or something like that you're you're uh technically a cost right like so if you're on a contract or something like that a lot of times people pay for it like um, the content developers, but like uh, the management or the overhead is going to be a cost. So you really have to figure like, okay, I'm justifying the cost of me being here and working the same as all the rest of my team, because I am supporting, I'm making every, every day I'm contributing and making things better. So servant based leadership um, I think is uh, is a great philosophy. Um, and I, I really felt like he embodied that in a production role, talking about, you know, the, what a good producer really is, is someone who is there to facilitate his team, you know, um, help them enjoy their jobs, you know, produce the best content they possibly can. Um, So I really definitely look up to him. Um, You know, other than that, it's, it's uh, a, I think, what's his name, Sefton Hill at at Rocksteady. He's I think the general manager there, I I was very, very impressed with, uh, with how he ran his studio um, he did a great Dice talk in 2012 uh, about uh, uh, about making the first two Arkham games um, that I always refer back to um, on how to make a really truly phenomenal game. Um, but yeah, no, there's 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 no shortage of great people in this industry. That's awesome.
1: Um, so I when when I was at Microsoft, I worked as a program manager, and it's. It's different from producer in that you don't quite do as much project planning, like scheduling <clears> stuff. It's more of a product design roles that with a little bit of uh, like producer stuff in it, uh, in that you're still manager in a sense that you are thinking about the org. You have to think about the product and also about the org and be like, is the org doing what's best for the product? And if no, what should we change? Uh, and... Through that, like, I definitely heard a lot of similar, I guess, ideas about what a good manager even is. Uh, which, right. Like the whole, the manager is there to, and like, like I use the word manager loosely because at Microsoft, they have the difference between a PM who's just a PM on the team versus a PM who is also a manager, a people manager. Like they have subordinates who report yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but regardless of which definition you're using, there's still this concept that was pretty much baked into the culture on my team there that was as a manager you are in your your goal is to be as best of a servant to the team and to anyone else who relies on you. Um and it it was really it was kind of confusing because on a day to day it's hard to tell it's hard to really measure how good someone is at, in their job until you start right. looking at the absolutely. until you start looking at the team and you're like, well, if the team's in chaos, maybe the manager's bad, or maybe it's something else. Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah. If no, it's a good if point. The team, if the team's not in chaos, you probably have some good managers on there.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, like, kind of with, uh, with, and then one of the hard things about uh, production um is that you know your resume like like artists have a portfolio right so they can show their individual contributions and in their work you know um you know programmers obviously can you know show their skills off um, same as designers uh but really for a, a producer you're showing what what was finished right so uh you know if your games don't ship you don't get to show how good of a job you did right so uh so that's really what's looked to as our kind of portfolio or the projects mm-hmm. that we ship.
1: i've heard people describe producers as the fiercest advocates for getting the game to ship on the team <laughs> like
0: yeah absolutely it's, a, it's an interesting position because you're you're kind of caught between two worlds right and you're being an advocate for both uh-huh. um you're uh, you have to be both the voice of the quality, um, of, you know, for the team, uh, and and that advocate for you know the features, the the set of, of uh, the and the quality that they want to get into the game. And then you also have to be thinking about the uh, you know getting the game out so that you know we all don't lose our jobs and we get paid, right? Uh, because your um, your discipline managers or or your your lead need to be 100 percent focused on their area their role your artists need to be focused on making the best art possible so it's very easy for people to lose focus on hey it might be time to wrap this particular thing up at its current state so that i can move on to this other thing or else you know all the threads are going to come loose and we're not going to ship this thing or worse it's going to become like a bad game and we're going to ship it as a bad game. So really for me, is just about making sure people pay attention to the right things at the right time.
1: Yeah. Uh, have you noticed any differences in the types of projects? Like for example, Dragon Age is a story based game. How was, how is it like right. to be a producer on that project compared to other titles?
0: Oh, it's definitely different. Um, I, I always joked that, uh, that studios usually have a focus, you know, like uh like uh, writing or like a discipline focus. Like there's, there's writing studios, there's, you know, design studios, there's art studios, you know, the thing that that studio cares about the most, you know, that kind of rules everything else. Um, And it's not, it's not really exactly that clear, like obviously like, you know, BioWare, even though they're a story-based studio, cares a lot about the gameplay and a ton about the art, making it the best possible thing ever. But there is, you know, a little bit of a, Um, a stronger voice, you know, for some of those things And at at Bioware, certainly um, there's a very strong, you know, writing story voice up there. Whereas at Blizzard, there's this very, very, very strong design voice. If it's, if it's fun, if the design works, we're going to make it happen. You know, we're going to make the story work around the design. Um, You know, so it just, it just depends on, on what studio it is and what their priorities are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, As a producer as as any position really where all we're trying to do is make sure that the vision of that game gets out
1: Uh uh-huh so i remember uh listening to the writers of Tomb raider talk about their process a few years ago i think it was two years ago Mm um and they were specifically like basically telling you about the schedule like because we have these writing needs we just like Bend the entire game schedule around it. And like they would have the, as writers, they would like work in the writing writer's room together. Uh, they would have all these drafts. Then they would get all the actors to come and do a cold, like a a, a non-recorded reading of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, maybe they would record it, but like there, and then when it came to the actual development side, like coordinating with the teams, they would make a particular scene and often use uh fake- like fake recordings of it, like not the final recordings, but enough of a recording, so that they could uh get a sense for how the scene was going, how it was feeling, and if if that wasn't good, Absolutely. they would go back rewrite, which would have a lot of consequences on the development schedule, <laughs> like like we have to rewrite the scene uh and then they would. Uh, hopefully that goes good and they get they go along and their scene gets to like not quite a golden state but like yeah like they they wanted their process to have as much flexibility on the writing as they wanted to uh, because even the smallest decisions could have reverberating impacts throughout the game uh, and oh, and absolutely. I'm like what must it have been like to be a producer on that team? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's pretty complex. Um, it's almost honestly, like controlled like, chaos. For instance, like you
1: you plan for it is. It's
0: yeah, very controlled. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You do you are specifically planning for chaos because you know those chaos moments are going to happen. Like, I think the intro to Dragon Age was completely re and redone three times. Um, uh, and, you know, we use robo-voices, you know, uh, a lot at the beginning, uh, just so that you can get a sense for the dialogue and the story as it mm-hmm. goes. It's this is, you know, kind of like robotic, you know voice as you're listening to everything as it goes um so you can kind of get a sense for how the scene is flowing how it's working what the timing is going to be like because on the page versus in the game is a lot different um storyboarding is something that we do a lot especially with cinematics and stuff like that it doesn't work as well whenever it's actually like combat and gameplay and things like that so but it really is controlled chaos right it, it uh you're uh, really you're starting off with your your chunk of marble and you're you know whittling it down bit by bit by bit. you know, you don't know exactly what it's going to be like in the middle. you know, you're slowly digging down to find the core of your game, your fun experience. you never, I don't think any team I've ever worked with or any team ever really has started off with a, this is exactly what this game is going to be like. It's I know exactly what it is. It's all in my head. Yeah. And the game ever ends up being like that. Like it's all a process of iteration of finding, you know, uh, finding the fun, finding the experience
1: and planning for iteration. Like do you ever like cut down the scope of a work item because you're like, you know, we're probably going to iterate on this later. Let's not make it the best thing ever. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Especially for design, right? Like for art, it's it's a little easier. Art really goes in a waterfall schedule, is what we call it, because it, everything just kind of like, you know, falls down, uh, you know, uh, predictably. But uh, but for design and uh, a lot of time for our gameplay programming tasks, you know, there is no task without an iteration period, right? Like there has to be an iteration period for literally everything that goes into the game. So. Yeah, there's, there's. I would never make a schedule that didn't, um, that didn't expect to, uh, to completely rework. You know what we what we were putting in.
1: That sounds really nice. Like I've, as a programmer, I've worked with clients who they're like, we can only afford the first draft of this idea, and I'm like, well, the yeah. first draft might not be that great, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can definitely get something on that first draft. You know, most of the time people can implement something, you know, but it might not be great. You know, it might not work with all the other systems of your game. So you're probably going to need to do multiple versions.
1: Yeah. And a lot of programmers, uh, especially as they come out of school, they get used to thinking about almost like programming in a waterfall sense. Like we have a problem. We know we can figure out how to solve the problem, and then we just go solve it. But with but with game <laughs> yeah. but with game programming, like it's not enough to just make it work. You have to be like, did I make it feel good? Does is the result what we wanted? Maybe we and, and a lot of times the, the correct answer is to just throw away code. Um,
0: yeah, and I mean honestly, if you do a perfect job as a programmer and you get everything perfectly, and it's a flawless system, a designer is going to come and break <laughs> it. So <laughs> it might be perfect for a day, you know? Like, it's it's not going to – you're not developing in a vacuum. Someone is going to come through and, and, uh, and you know, kick over your sandcastle yeah, And if
1: the designer doesn't, the playtest as well.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Or QA oh, or man. somebody else. So, yeah.
1: Cool. So we have like 7 minutes left. If any, just another reminder if anyone has questions, please jump in.
0: And feel free to qu- ask questions about anything. Like I work with every discipline, so if you don't don't hold back your your art or your design or anything like that.
1: What's the weirdest team position that you've had to like work with? Like a posi-
0: like someone got hired
1: for X and you're like that they're someone's being paid for that?
0: <laughs> oh man i don't i don't know that i've ever had like um uh, a, a weird hire i have had uh to i felt very bad whenever we have hired some people and their job has changed almost immediately oh. i hired uh i hired <laughs> uh, uh this awesome artist we got him right out of college right and he's this amazing artist uh he's uh, uh we hired him as a prop artist and he starts joining on the team and we're working on the college Duty game. Um, and I think we got two weeks in maybe to the job and I needed someone to make a tree for me and I didn't have anybody who knew how to make a tree, uh, in, in Speedtree and so I was wandering around and I was like, okay, can does anybody, is anybody interested in learning this thing? And he was the only one that, that volunteered. So I was like, "Cool, good deal. Your job has changed. You are now a tree maker." Uh, <laughs> and He spent about six months making trees. After that, luckily, he enjoyed it, uh, or at least he told me he did. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, there's a lot of things like that. Like a lot of people, since since the uh, you know the job changes, it's constantly like this fluctuating, like you know, crazy mess. Uh, it's it's always fun to see how people. Uh, how people's jobs change or where their interest lies, you know, over the course of a project.
1: I've heard stories
0: at Microsoft of people who
1: they interview, they get an offer, they go, they probably do the interview like before June. So, like Microsoft's fiscal mm-hmm. year ends in in like July first, and then shortly after that, every year they do like a little reorg. So before that line in the sand, they did the they got the job, and then. They set their start date after that line and they show up and they've been reorged out of a job. <laughs> um, oh my God. And so gosh. then peop- oh, people horrible, are scrambling, man. like, your team doesn't exist anymore or like you've been put <laughs> on something else. And so, yeah, usually they don't like fire them. Like, they're like, no, we, this is our yeah, fault. Yeah, of course and, not. Of yeah. course not. Yeah.
0: No, I, I don't think I've ever struggled. To, uh, the nice part about games is that there's always something to do. But everybody's so ambitious and everybody wants the game to be so so cool, so amazing. Everybody's always got ideas, so if there's somebody sitting idle, I'm going to give them work.
1: Neat. Uh, do you have any career goals as of right now? Like anything that you're aiming for in the future? Anything that you're interested oh, in? Personally, yeah.
0: I just I, I love making games, so I just want to make more more cool games you know that's that's really my my drive in the industry and uh and here like um uh you know i have uh i've definitely been trying to you know help more and uh, reach out and, and kind of pay it forward a little bit since it was really difficult for you know for me whenever i was trying to get into the industry and there wasn't a lot of information available um i try and make as much of it as possible uh, you know available as possible so that's uh, something I'd like to continue um, and and keep going for. Uh, other than that, I'd love to work on another uh, open. I think open world is uh, is really cool and has a ton of uh, ton of interesting
1: challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably on my list, but that's about it. Yeah, it seems pretty common like people who are like my my favorite project is my next project that I haven't started yet. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like always looking forward, always looking for the next challenge. That's a good sign that you're gonna do well in the industry if if you're always like looking for that that next you know big cool thing because uh, there's always something around the corner
1: i I once heard a bunch of TV uh, actors and producers talking about their careers and they described it like surfing like every project is a wave and you're just looking you're looking <laughs> for good waves and you're also trying to enjoy the wave that you're on as best as you can
0: right I think we're lucky that that our jobs are usually a little bit more stable, uh, you know we don't have to necessarily go project to project to project. Um, a lot of times you know studios will you know retain all their staff, you know we we'll don't let everybody go at the end of a project. Um, so it's nice because those big waves just kind of come to us. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it is it is very much like that. Like there's this big ramp up and ramp down. You know, and everybody usually has their favorite part of that wave, you know, like I I love being on the crest. I love, you know, the production part where you're seeing all the pieces come together and all the the interesting problems being solved and working with all the disciplines. Um, But some people love the pre-production process where everything's very pie in the sky and you're coming up with lots of ideas and there's no real wrong answers, and some absolutely insane people love shutdown, and I don't understand them. But, but but some people really do love that last little bit of finish putting the finishing touches on everything.
1: The all hands um, on deck moment.
0: But yeah, yeah, yeah. That all hands on deck. It's very camaraderie. You know, get it all done. You know, ship it, see it on the shelves. You know, I love the middle though
1: i've heard i've heard chefs who talk about how they love the those hectic moments in restaurants where you're just trying to get all these dishes out the door it sounds a lot like that
0: yeah absolutely absolutely that's definitely the high of it like i don't think uh i've met very many developers that like to be bored you know like there's there's very few people that that uh are okay. Just like coasting, you know, most people want a challenge. Most people always want something to do. Uh, most of the developers that I work with, like get a little antsy. If I don't have another task waiting for them right after the one that they're finishing, they'll, they'll start to like finish up their task and they'll say like, Hey, like, what's next like you know so they'll get to that point and then want to jump on to uh to the next big thing so i always try and keep people stocked with lots of lots of cool interesting things there's always something around the horizon
1: what's what's it like to do pre-production at a big studio like in my mind pre-production
0: is usually like
1: just make a bunch of little prototypes flesh out the idea figure out what you want and then maybe expand on that and set up like a plan for production uh, but in a big studio, uh, are you involved with pre-production at all? Like telling people what to do and oh, stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult, right? Like the bigger the studio is the, the trickier it is going to be logistically for your pre-production because the best pre-production team is a small team, yeah. right? A uh, a core group that has a really strong vision, um, and is able to do a couple of prototypes, you know, and, and iterate swiftly, uh, and integrate especially exactly like you want to get your iteration in you want just enough people to to try out all the cool things that you want to do but the realities of production um are sometimes different because you have all of these great people and you want to retain them and you want to give them all these cool things to do sometimes your pre-production team ends up being a little bit larger which means that you end up with a lot of iteration but a lot of parallel iteration Mm -hmm. right so tons of people all working on stuff at the same time, which is just a chaotic mess. Uh, And there's good things and there's bad things. You get a lot done in a short amount of time, but you're also burning through your budget um, during that time. So it it can be this very hectic, crazy time, but you're right, the way to to do it correctly is to go in, decide the direction as you wanna go in, um, and then prototype and iterate, and then course correct that original direction um, as you go.
1: Cool. So we're just about out of time. Any last questions? Any any last words? <laughs> <laughs> any last words? <laughs> well, if not, then I will thank you for coming. Absolutely.
0: And, and if you do think of anything later, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or anything yeah,
1: else. Yeah, actually, is this is this the video of the session that you mentioned earlier uh
0: that absolutely is it's a, actually a long series it's it's several hours uh uh long but that's absolutely the one
1: okay awesome <laughs> uh thanks a lot for coming this was pretty good i we'll get the recording uploaded at some point we've been pretty behind with our recordings but we're getting them <laughs>
0: Great. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me today, everyone.
1: Thanks for coming. Hope your team's doing great.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're they're happy campers. I got to go back to them, actually.
1: Have a good rest of your day.
0: Yep. Thanks, everyone. See you later.